Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. It's been a little bit since I've been up here, uh, so it's good to be in front of you again. I just want to take a break uh, before we kind of start in our lesson, kind of elevate something that we're going to be doing here in the next month at our church. We are going to be renewing our church directory. <laughs> That's what I mean. Not a lot of uh, applause on that, but yeah, we have not done a directory here at church in quite some time, and so we're going to embark on the mission to do those, this directory. It's not going to be in-house. We've got an organization called Life Touch, a very reputable uh, photography company that your kids have probably got their school pictures with before. Um, so at the end of October, beginning of November, we're going to start rolling out two weeks in which you can set up appointments for you and your family or just yourself to come in and take a picture, and we'll put it in a directory. It's not going to be a cost to you if you don't want it to be. You get a free directory, you get a free eight by 10 of whoever's in the picture, you or your family, and I'm not gonna judge you if you just put an eight by 10 of yourself on your refrigerator either, okay? <laughs> it's important to us, and that's, it's important to us to do this so we can kind of start to put some names to faces. I'll probably make a bunch of flashcards with your faces and names trying to get to know you guys, um, but it's time we do this. So would you help us and participate in this? If you consider yourself to be a regular attender here, a frequent attender, uh, we'd love for you to get a part of this, okay? So we're going to jump in today to our lessons. I haven't been up here in a while. I said in, in that time, we've kind of completed our series in Romans and, and Titus, and I hope that those books have been encouraging to you. And not just encouraging, hopefully they've been impactful to your walk with Christ. Over the last couple of weeks, Chad has kind of encouraged us through the book of Titus, kind of for us to consider our leadership, kind of what leadership structure we're sitting under, and then to kind of understand our roles here and how we work together and then how that kind of permeates outside of these walls. And so for the next couple of weeks, what I want to do is just kind of take a, a time out, a break from our book study, which I find to be very important, uh, and just begin to talk to you about the vision of church that God has put on my heart. I think many of us as we kind of transition in this leadership, kind of wonder, what is our church going to look like in the future? And so I want to use the next four weeks here to kind of lay out to you the kind of things that I see this church valuing in the future. So as you probably know, over a little over a year ago, I was hired as the spiritual formation pastor. Not exactly sure what that title meant. It just kind of made me feel important. Um, I was brought in here as kind of a catalyst of change, um, somebody that would bring new visions, some new ideas, some new thoughts. Um, and to do that really well, what I have tried to do over the last year is collect data, build relationships, talk, listen, read, try to figure out what is essential about Life Community Church. What are we strong in? What are we weak at? What do we need to change? What do we need to add? Where are our blind spots? <clears throat> and in that process, I found a group of people that I absolutely love. A group of people who absolutely love God and love this church. And I don't think I was ready uh, to embrace and love this church as, as quickly as I did. But as amazing as a group of people in a church as we are, we are in some ways extremely fractionalized. We all seem to have our own passions, which is okay. We all have things that we seem to think that are more fundamental than other things, things that we wish were taught and used more and things that we wish were taught and used less. We have all sorts of people in here. We have people who are reminiscent on days past when pastors rappelled down from ceilings and motorcycles drove up on our stage. 
And maybe there are many of you in here that think, or some of you that think that our best days are in our rearview mirror. We have all kinds of people. We have people who want more skits, less worship, more lighting, less teaching, more teaching, less worship, more analogy, less commentary, more commentary, less analogy. We have people that just want us to read scripture. We have Calvinists and we have Arminians alike. We have people that have no idea what I just said. (laughs) That's true. We have young and old, rich and poor, married and singled, divorced and widowed, all sorts of people. We're so different. And what can happen in those differences is they can cause us at times to be frustrated and confused by one another. And those feelings slowly begin to breed a lack of zeal, a lack of passion, and a lack of love for church. And there are so many of you who serve this congregation, who serve this church faithfully and well, and we are indebted to your service. But sometimes I wonder how many of us just come on Sunday and sit in these seats, not because we love church or we have a great passion for this church, but because it's just what we do. And what happens, friends, is in that indifference, what slowly begins to happen is dysfunction is created within the walls of the church. Volunteerism goes down, and then we pile an increasing load on those who still are serving, burning them out. Our church begins to shrink because we don't invite anybody anymore. We don't investigate the hearts of those who are around us in these seats. We don't try to get to know each other, and then we say things like, Our church is lacking because we don't have connection. And all of this works together to breed a dissatisfaction, maybe not fully, but in subtle forms that lead us over time to lack of love and lack of passion. And look, I don't know where we're at in this. I think it's a present here. To what links, I don't know. But can I ask you a question? Like you're going to say no, right? What do you think heaven's going to be like? Like, what do you think is, what do you think heaven's going to be like? What kind of people do you think will be there? Do you think there will be people that are different than you? Do you think there will be people that love Christ that maybe have a different viewpoint than you? Might there be people who love Christ from multiple nations across the world? Might there be lovers of grace, people who have been justified that are in the rich camp, poor, young, old, married, singled, widowed, divorced, Do you think the Calvinist and the Arminian might be praising God right next to the guy that, again, has no idea what I just said? Yes. I think heaven's going to be made up of all sorts of lovers of Christ. All sorts of people who differ in maturation in this process of sanctification. All kinds of people who love God, who have been justified by his blood and his sacrifice And I do hope, friends, I do hope that when someday I arrive in heaven, then I am blown away with the kind of grace that God offers us. I hope you are too. So what is interesting is that the same kinds of things that we see as dysfunctional, all of the differences, all of the genres of people, they're going to be present in heaven in some ways, right? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a church where everybody looks the same or dresses the same. Maybe you do. But what I have found to be the heart, what is essential about Life Community Church, is a belief that you belong here. Wherever you're at, 
whoever you are, you belong here. You belong here. And instead of being frustrated and disimpassioned because of our uniquenesses, maybe we should celebrate that for those who love Christ and who are justified by his blood and his sacrifice, that those of us who are now considered adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we would celebrate the fact that we are his and he is ours and not get distracted in the differences. If we are going to praise God together in the life that is to come after this one, What kind of attention could we give to Jesus by being of one heart, of one mind, and one spirit on earth? And so I, without reservation, say I love this church. Absolutely love this church. And I believe this with my whole heart. Our best days are in front of us. Our best days are in front of us. And you're a part of it. And for us to be a sweet aroma of God's mercy and grace a vehicle of influence and change within our community, we need to know where we're going. Paul writes a couple times in his epistles about the body being compared to our body, made up of different parts, foots and eyes and teeth and mouth. But here's the thing. A body that isn't in motion, a body that is not going where, is just sitting still, and the foot begins to say to the ear, man, I kind of wish I was an ear. And the mouth begins to critique the eyes and say, hey, I don't think you know what you're seeing. But a body in motion works together using the gifts that God has given each of us towards an objective and towards its purpose. I like to imagine it this way. I'm going to ask some of my friends on the worship band to come out here. Oh, I'm sure that you know this, but we have some incredibly talented musicians in this church. So incredibly talented that what I think I'm about to ask them to do is going to be extremely disturbing to their musical souls. If these guys and gals came out here and I said, hey, I just want you guys to play music, and that's it, and knowing that they're very good musicians and they want to ask me a whole bunch of questions, but here, I'm not in the mood to answer questions today. I'm just going to ask you to play music, and if that's all I did was say, hey, play music, it might sound a little bit like this. The drummer's always getting his attention, you know, (laughs) sitting back there just waiting for that drum roll. Oh, Now, I ask you, was that music? Now, I didn't ask you whether it was good or bad. Was that music? Yes, it was. But what it was was four people doing their own thing, playing things their own way, in which the way they want it to or in how they want it to. But I ask you this, what if I gave them a purpose? Like, what if I gave them an objective to work towards together? Might that even be sweeter, sound a little different, maybe a little bit more beautiful, more attractive? What if I said, hey, guys, one song. I want it to be The Glory Is Yours. And I said, hey, drums, could you bring me a beat to that? Good. And guitar, could you bring a little melody in that? Could you add a little depth there? And piano, could you bring that all together? What do we have? We have a song. 
We have everybody working together to accomplish a given purpose, an objective. Now, who would argue in here that this song is worse than the hodgepodge of instruments playing their own thing their own way? I don't think anybody would. What I'm coming in front of you today to do is to say this, is wherever you are at, let's come together. Let's move past our own pride, our own preferences, and unite under the banner of Jesus Christ and be more than we ever dreamed we could possibly be. Let us be a body in motion that works together to bring great attention and glory to the name of Jesus Christ, not a body that is just sitting still, inwardly looking at each other, wishing others would change or that we might be somebody else. Let's play some beautiful music together. And for us to accomplish that, we need to have God-given direction and vision, and that's what I'm here to help with. Thank you guys for playing that. And yeah. And maybe we should just stop there today. You know, <laughs> maybe we should just stop there today. Um, and maybe, you know, as we're transitioning here between lead pastors, you're unable to see direction. As Chad phases out and I'm phasing in, maybe many of you are asking, like, what will this church look like? Today, what I want to do is begin to answer those questions. I want to begin to share with you the God-given vision of church that lies on my heart. It's a vision that I've bumped up against our staff. It's a vision that I've bumped up against our elders. And I'm telling you, we are completely unified in this. And not just unified, but our staff is excited to begin. You know, Proverbs 29, verse 18 says this, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, people do what they want. And so our vision is not a plan to roll out some catchy slogan. It's not a plan to have some marketing scheme. All it is is an effort to express to you biblical values that this church would be known by. That when other people rub up against us as people of Life Community Church, they would know who we are by what we value. Our objective is still to bring glory to God. It is still to make disciples. Jesus Christ will always be our sole aim. But what we value goes a long way in communicating and pushing us towards those acts of disciple-making and bringing great attention to the name of Jesus. And so for the next four weeks, what I would like to do is just lay out a value of vision, or vision of value, things that we would be known by, a direction that would steer all that we do across all of our ministry platforms, and that we wouldn't just value them, but we would value them really well. And so... Going forward, our direction will communicate in some ways one of these four values. And they're not, they're not revolutionary. Our first value is truth that guides. Truth that guides. Transformation in heart, restoration in relationship. That we would value the word of God as the primary source of our identity, our life, our influence, that it would be the truth that guides our life, that it would be the cornerstone of all that we do, all that we know, and all that we have. Our second value is pursuit of godliness in our heart, deeds, and words, that we would begin to pursue growth in our personal relationships with Jesus Christ, that we would continue to take steps in this process of sanctification, that we would desire to kill sin in our lives and to seek righteousness, our third value is loving our neighbors, 
Better together, together we love, care, serve, and live better. That we would value the hearts of those who are surrounding us. That we would encourage one another, grieve with one another, work together with one another. That we would pursue those who live outside of these walls who don't know the riches of Jesus Christ and that we would connect them to him and his church. And our last value is a generous heart in service, in giving, in love, grace, and truth, that we would be the kind of people that just give it away, that we would be God's conduit of generosity to those who surround us, not just financially, not just talking about financial, in service, in time, generous in grace, in love, and truth. And that's it. <laughs> not revolutionary. Pretty simplistic. These are our four values. They're not going to just, I wouldn't expect to see these in pictures everywhere. These are what we value. Truth that guides, pursuit of godliness, love of our neighbors, loving our neighbors, a generous heart. And so what I want to begin to do, starting this week, is to begin to break down these values in a biblical manners. We want this to be direction, our direction of life community church, not because... I say so, or we come up with this, came up with this great idea, it's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, what he gives to us, and because of what he's commanded us to do. And so we want to try to break these down biblically, and then talk about how these fit in our lives personally, and then what this means for us as a congregation. <laughs> so for the remainder of the day, I would really just like to address this first value for this week, truth that guides. And its subtext is transformation in heart, restoration in relationship. And let's just look at some scripture here that illuminates this value. If we look at Psalm 138, Psalm 138 says this, I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. We believe that the word of God is revealed to man, divinely inspired, and is absolutely supreme. This is our cornerstone value, that God's word is fundamental to our life, to our direction, and to our standards. That scripture would be the preeminent source of all that we do, all that we know, and we would handle it wisely. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, reminds us of this. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, great, rightly handling the word of truth. We believe fundamentally at our core that the word of God changes people's lives, that it transforms and restores relationships even to this very day. Many of you know that I spent many, many years in an organization called Youth for Christ, dear to my heart. And during my reign there, I tried so many things to bring deep, meaningful change into the lives of students in our ministry. I tried to teach with better analogy, tried to teach with better stories. I tried to hold kids accountable through action. I brought other people in to have influence over my kids. But do you know what happened? Do you know when my ministry really started to flourish? It's when I made God's word the centrality of all that we did. And that refocus only happened because I came at a place in my life where I realized that that's what I needed to. It is a living revelation of God that has the ability to change the hearts of men and women even to this day. 
something that I learned the hard way that I could never do. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but in communist Russia, um, they used to have plays that kind of mocked Christianity. And one of those plays was called Christ in a Tuxedo. Great name. The first act showed kind of a church altar kind of in a saloon with drunken clergy kind of toasting each other and nuns on the floor playing cards. And then the second act opened up with this beloved actor in Russia, comrade Alex Rostovez, well-known actor. And the second act began with him, and the script said he would come out in a robe with a New Testament in his hand, and he would read a couple verses from the Sermon of the Mount, pretending he was Jesus. And then he was going to rip off his robe and say, give me my tuxedo and my top hat. And so Rostovez begins to read Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Blessed is the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Rostovez stopped. And then he just began to continue to read Matthew 5. Despite the clamor, despite the stomping from his fellow actors, he came across a verse that he remembered from his youth in the Russian Orthodox Church. And he proclaimed in front of the audience, he said this, he said, Lord, remember me when thy comes into thy kingdom. And before that curtain dropped, Alex Rostovez had trusted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. I don't get it. I just know that it transforms our hearts. The Spirit of God does something with it that I can't, I can't communicate to you. And so that is why we ask you all the time, what guides you? Where did you get the things that you believe to be true? What is your filter in which you view everything by? We believe as believers in this church that it starts with the Word of God. We need to be careful on what we allow to speak for the cause of truth in our own lives. And I know the question comes up all the time, how do I know that the Bible is true? And look, I don't have enough time to do that well today. I will ask you to do this. Go look up the textual criticisms of the Bible. Go look up the textual criticisms. You can type that in your Google, your Google bar. And the archaeological evidence. There is not one book in the history of the world that stands up to the kind of scrutiny that the Word of God does. It's unbelievable. It has been the best-selling book every single year that it's existed. The Bible is something more than just a book. And what I love about these 66 books inside of this cover is that they were written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, all of which coming from different time spans, coming from different locations, from different vocations, and different languages. And the unity and harmony that exist amongst the pages of these books is unmatched and absolutely astonishing. So this is our cornerstone. This is what we will value the most. And so let me break that down in a couple different camps. What does that mean for us personally? And what does that mean for us as a church? Personally, what that means for us is this. I'm asking us to commit to being in the Word of God on a daily basis. I don't care what app you use. I don't care what plan you use. I don't care how you do it. It is wise for us to make it a practice to be in God's Word. So is reading God's word a, necessarily, a necessary part of your, your life, or is it low on the priority scale? There's a guy, his name is George Mueller, tremendous Christian reformer, a great man. And he said this, he made this statement after he read 
through the Bible for the hundredth time. He said, I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over God's word. Friends often say, I have so much to do, so many people to see, I cannot find time to study scripture. Perhaps there is not many who have more to do than I. For more than a half century, I have not known one day where I've had more business than I could get through. For four years, I've annually had 30,000 letters, and most of those have passed through my hands. Then as a pastor of a church of 1,200 believers, I have cared for them greatly. And besides that, I'm in charge of five immense orphanages in a publishing depot that prints and circulates millions of tracts, books, and Bibles. But I've always made it a rule to never begin work until I've had a good season with God and his word. The blessing that I've received has been wonderful. And I don't know about you, but the greatest seasons of my life are connected to my intentionality in being in God's word. And here's why. Every moment, every moment that I exist, somebody or something is bidding for my attention. There is always something in front of me, news, popular opinion, something that somebody's saying. Every moment of my life, my life is asking me to make a decision or choice about something. Every second of my life, it is asking me to make a decision or choice about something, somebody, and even myself. What forms the basis of my choices and decisions in those moments is what I believe to be true. And so if we just leave our houses and go out the back door and for the rest of our day fill our minds up with useless things, junk, and secular items, then what is shaping our mind is relatively unimportant things and at worst, sin. We have to be critical on what we allow to inform our opinions, our actions, and our beliefs. Are they renewing our mind in Christ, or are they conforming us to the Word of God? Oh, conforming us to the world, excuse me. So, we have to read the Word, because here's what happens. We get comfortable calling ourselves Christians and still struggling with the same struggles and sins that we've dealt with for the last 10 or 15 years because we are not allowing the word of God to register in our life and for the spirit of God to transform our hearts and renew our minds. And we have often said this, and we will continue to say this, that it is okay not to be okay. Okay, it is okay not to be okay, but it is not okay to stay there. There's more for us in this life than to stay where we're at. So what the value of truth that guides wants to push into our lives is a dependency on the word of God as the anchor of all that we are. And can I caution us in how we read scripture? Can I just caution us in how we read scripture? The Bible was not written as your self-help book. It wasn't just given to you to make you feel better. If feeling good is the premise of your faith, then you have lost your faith completely. I get concerned when I see megachurch pastors using the word of God as some encouragement that you can do better, that you have so much potential. Now, is the word of God encouraging? Absolutely, it is. But if you're reading it and putting the emphasis on yourself, you're missing the the boat. The word of God is the story of God and his kingdom. It is a story of reconciliation. It's a story of a loving God rescuing his people. It pushes forward and looks forward and then looks backwards to Jesus Christ and his gospel. The emphasis should always be on how, God, how good God has been to us 
And it always should point back to him. And as we read it, we will find the strength and courage and boldness to be the kinds of people that God has designed us to be because he sustains it all. He sustains it all. He enables it all through his spirit in our dependency on him, not by us pulling up our boots and trying harder. So the Bible is not a self-help book, but it is a book that is full of beautiful stories, beautiful poetry and letters and history that might just change your life. So please do help yourself to it. So let's talk about what this means for us as a church. When we value as a church, truth that guides, it means that we elevate the word of God as the standard of how we operate. It will be what informs what we teach and how we teach and what we do. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It is our gold standard. And we will not sacrifice on biblical truth to fill these seats. We just won't. We will not sacrifice on biblical truth to gain attention. And we will not sacrifice on biblical truth to be viewed as progressive. It is the lens in which we determine how we do what we do and when we do it. It means a value of authenticity over production, a value of simplicity over complexity. It means that we, both as a church and in a, as an individual, focus on our identity in Christ and what he has done for us and not the material blessings that he might give us. And all of these things are not exclusive to us having fun and laughing at ourselves. Please, doesn't exclude that. We want to be a church that has fun together, but we will not do it in a way that, that waters down the gospel. Truth that guides not only transforms our hearts, it restores our relationships, and not just a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ, but our horizontal relationships with each other. What if we just viewed each other biblically, that we would turn with love and care and grace and mercy in our eyes when we see each other? that we would grieve and encourage one another, that if we had conflict, we might do it in a way that provides gentleness, respect, love, and truth to that individual, that we might confront sin in our life and other people's lives with gentleness, respect, love, and truth. I'm fully convinced that if we as Christians could deal with conflict in a biblical manner, if we could deal with conflict in a biblical manner and restore each other, overlooking our offenses, forgiving as we have been forgiving, and owning our junk, owning what we can, we would be a sweet aroma to the world around us. And we're going to talk more about that next week and our value of pursuing godliness. And so to kind of wrap this up today, I just want to give you a few things to take home with you. Not trinkets or toys. There's nothing hidden under your seats. Just words to remember. You belong here. Okay? You belong here. And let's commit to being a church that is a body in motion, using all of its gifts, working together to bring glory to the Father, and that we don't sit still and inwardly look at each other with intrigue and suspicion in our eyes. Let us play some beautiful music together as we head towards God's vision and purpose for this church. Friends, our best days are in front of us. Our best days are in front of us, not because we're going to reach some sort of attendance record or popularity, because we will commit ourselves to bringing glory to Christ 
by what we are known by, by what we value, and how we act, and what we say. I don't care about the number of people that sit in these seats. I care about our hearts. And that is what we will value. And lastly, make the word of God our absolute dependency in life. It is the truth that guides our life. Let it be our home base, our docking station. Let it be what we rest in. God reminds us in the prophet Isaiah's book, in chapter 55, about the power of his word when he reminds us of this. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. The word of God will not return void in our lives. It will not return empty. It will accomplish its purpose in our lives and in this church. I love you guys. And I am so glad to be here. And I'm looking forward to our future together. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and we just ask that you would work in our congregation, that you would work in our hearts, that we would place our entire identity in who you are and what you've done for us, that you would bring passion, that you would bring revival into our hearts, God, that we earnestly would seek you in all things, that you would restore our relationships with each other and you, and that you would transform our hearts by the renewal of our minds in your words. Father, thank you for this church. We love you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, who did for us what we could not. Amen.